Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And here you go. The much anticipated Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you uh, from beautiful Seattle, Washington. You know, in these dog days of summer and during the pandemic, I have a lot of time to think, you know. Uh, Karl Marx, we all know his name. Famous guy, Karl Marx, you know. And, uh, so he, uh, you know, kind of the, the communist socialist. Uh, guidebook and uh, Karl Marx, famous. And but nobody talks about his sister Anya, uh, who invented the starter pistol. Nobody ever talks about his sister Anya Marx. Thank you very much. Oh, oh wow, he uh, he went a long way around to get to that punchline, didn't he? <laughs> but at least you know one thing about Duff: he will never let us down. He's always starting our weekend off with some kind of laugh for the last three years. Uh, thanks to Duff. And if you're looking for more laughs, Winnipeg's episode three came out last night. This one is about near-death experiences. Dave almost drowns because of a girl. Ribo almost skis off the edge of the mountain because of a girl. And I almost get shot in a dark area of Mexico City because of a girl. Yeah. Near-death experiences because of a girl is what we should call it. A new episodes of the Winnipeg's every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern on my official YouTube channel and Facebook cha- uh, page. And the Saturday special, I think it's going to happen tomorrow night. Fozzie has a show in uh, in North Dakota, but I'm going to figure out how to do a Saturday night special one way or another. Stay tuned to my Instagram and Twitter accounts for the exact time. But I'm going to go live on Facebook Live and YouTube Live uh, if I can on Saturday night. So uh, we'll be sharing more questions, telling stories, and of course the Saturday special sing-along uh, tomorrow night if possible. Stick with me and I will give you all the news if I haven't already. Uh, but coming up today... Two of the all-time greats in the business, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, together on a podcast for the very first time. They've been reunited in AEW for the first time since working together as one of the greatest tag teams in the world in the 80s. And what a run they had. They're going to be talking about that. How they teamed up in the first place. What split them up and how they both ended up in AEW. So it's Arn and Tully together on a podcast for the first time ever. Coming up next on Talk is Jericho. Okay, so uh, the last few weeks um, in AEW, we had uh, FTR came in, and the thing I've always heard about them is they're tag team specialists, just like Tully and, and, and Arn Anderson, Tully Blanche and Anderson. So I, I've been wanting to talk to both you guys for a long time, but I thought how cool it would be to talk together, one of the greatest pure tag teams of all time, Arn and Tully. And one of the greatest? One, sorry, the great. I said the greatest. <laughs> I had a little hiccup there. Wait, sorry, buddy. That's okay. The greatest pure tag team. Um, I guess I want to ask because you were in the scene in, in WWE and Tully, I don't know if you were watching or not. When you see FTR, do you see why people compare them to, to, to you guys? I think it was an absolute effort on their part to pattern themselves after our style. But I also saw that they took the concept of whatever it may be, you know, suckering a guy in, making him chase your roll back in, get his back turned mm-hmm. to your opponent, a tag that he doesn't see, the guy steps in from behind, plows him. That psychology, but they put their tweak on it. And, you know, they're, they're a hell of a lot. I don't know if you noticed, they're a hell of a lot more athletic than you and I <laughs> are and were. But, uh, but it's the same concept. They truly are. They give you, at the end of the day, they're a team that knows what their partner's doing at all times. Mm-hmm. That's what makes a great team, I think. It almost goes back to an old school style of wrestling because, like you mentioned, the guys these days are so athletic. Like I remember back, 
I watch these matches with Jerry Lynn and go, remember they used to call us high flyers? Yeah, buddy. And it's, it, the, the, the bar is just raised so much over the years. But when you see wrestling today, Tully, and tag team wrestling, do you see the holes in it and what you would do to kind of shore it up? Or are you one of the guys like myself that just goes and realizes that the business evolves? Well, I, I think I've been gone for right. a, a, a longer period than either one of you guys. And so I come back and I look at stuff and I recognize holes that I would probably adjust if me and Arn were transformed back into this period mm-hmm. and go, okay, this is what we got to do and blah, 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 blah. And it is, but you've also got to realize that it's never going back. Right. Just like our country's never going back or mm-hmm. the world's never going back. You can't go back and 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 go back to the wrist lock, mm-hmm. right? And, and have and have riots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like that with any sport. Like hockey has changed, and football has changed, and it's just a different world now. But it's great to have both you guys in AEW, kind of helping and coaching and teaching and giving advice. Is this the first time you guys have worked in the same company for years, ten years, twenty years? Oh yeah, since yeah. Uh, since eighty nine. Since eighty nine. Really. Wow, since since your brain busters run, basically, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how you guys became a team, and also, too, I have to say, to the of the original Four Horsemen, which of course is the greatest faction of all time. How did this all come together with you guys first aligning with each other? You know, I, I don't remember at what focal point Tully and I became a a team, other than when we kicked Oli out, who was ready to go home and watch his kid wrestle amateur at the time we were offended both on a shoot and a work because we were red hot but Mm -hmm. he said hey guys you know i didn't sign up for for life i want to go see my kid wrestle amateur it took utc chattanooga now this is the original four horsemen with flair oli and 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 you two guys jj oh jay okay and and myself yeah 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 and uh you know and it just kind of came out of nowhere and uh so we went, okay, we got a hell of a thing here, but, you know, we, we got to honor his wishes because he was going one way or the other. Yeah. Period. And, and now, as a dad with a 23-year-old that has got to see my son, in, you know, in the sports, high school sports and all that stuff, you know, he didn't make it in college, but uh, I get it. Mm. I get it now. And once we kicked him out and put Luger in his place, there was a natural evolution to move Rick into – Rick Spot as a world champion. Luger's the guy that we had to make into the heavy hitter just because of his look. Mm-hmm. And that left me and Tully kind of as a team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the way I remember it. And we just kind of fell into it and it clicked from day one. And I'll, I've said before, I learned more about tag team wrestling with this guy than anybody that I had as a partner. And I had some great partners mm-hmm. over the years, but he just. He just knows how to get heat. And uh, in the course of, you know, sucking a guy in and, and, you know, and all those things we used to do, mostly would get a guy to blow a stack. And while he's pounding the piss out of this guy, he forgot about the one that's going to do the damage, which is the one fixing to kick him in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. And he kind of taught me that, that psychology. And uh, we just clicked. It got to a point, Chris, and I, you may have been it this way with some partners in the past. I could just look at him. I could have him in headlock, and I could just look at him, and he he knew 
what I wanted. I may take it as far as just to tap myself on the leg, shoot him off. If I drop down when he hit those ropes, he knew, catch him in the back. <laughs> and it, it got to be automatic, and that's yeah. when it got really got fun. Yeah, it was, it, and, and it was fun. And it was one of the things when we were, when we went up to the WWE was things wanted to be a little more planned out, mm -hmm. which didn't really float real well. Right. Because <laughs> you know, that way to this day. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, do what? When? How? What? <laughs> You're talking about having, calling more spots in the back rather than just feeling it in the ring. Exactly. Right. And which is where we were at. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was, it, it, it was fun to go to work, mm. working, working with this guy every stinking night. I mean, it was, it was, you had fun in the ring and you knew that 16,000 people or however many were there got their money's worth watching us. And, and that was satisfying. Mm. And, and that was what we were paid to do was entertain people and bring them back the next time. And, and it was, it was, it was really that period of from 85 to 89 was the, I mean, it, it was like a flash, mm -hmm. but it was the best time that I had, that I've ever had in my life. And, uh, you know, to be able to, to come back and, and hopefully give a bunch of knowledge that can still be applied maybe tweaked a little bit but applied is very exciting to me mm -hmm. because i've been you guys have yeah. worked and worked and worked and and you guys are in flow but to be away for 20 years yeah. 25 years 30 years yeah. <laughs> and come back this mm -hmm. is you know a different different atmosphere for me and uh a lot still feels the same, but still there's new stuff going on. But it's exciting to be part of the mm -hmm. the AEW family. And and uh, you know when you when you mentioned Arn with the Four Horsemen, like when I started the Inner Circle, it was, it was basically I think most factions kind of go off the Four Horsemen model. I got Jake the Killer, he's the Luger type. Mm. Uh, I got the great tag team Santana Ortiz. I got Sammy, who, and I got you know myself. And, and, for, for how did the Four Horsemen start in the first place? Like, was this something that Flair started, or Ole as the Booker? Or you wouldn't believe me if I told you. <laughs> Please, this do. is the God's truth, and and it, it is just when I say this, you're gonna you're gonna be waiting for the story part, and there is not a story part. In those days, we had like a three. I want to say it was like a three thirty eight interview slot. And Maybe three minutes and 38 seconds, three minutes, 38 seconds. And it just so happened. I mean, we had started to just started to be in, you know, intermingling and, and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, different combinations of guys were having tags and stuff. But we're happy to all be out on one promo one day. And we had to get it all done in 338. And there what, were three matches. Can I interject? Yep. Because we were in an eight man tag match. Mm. It was the Andersons. And Flair the cousin, and just because I was wrestling a Booker, I got slid in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there we stood, four of us, and, and we started. Guys, they started into their 
their promos, whoever went ahead of me, I don't remember. And I was just looking and counting heads, and I don't know how but or why, but the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the biblical story of what they do, and when it's time, it popped in my head. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a religious guy, certainly believe in God, but I'm not a Bible thumper that that was in my prefrontal lobe. It just popped in there like promos, right? right. We don't know how stuff pops in there. Yeah. We just roll with it. And I went into this deal. Hey, you're dealing with, you know, you're looking at the four horsemen and never has so much damage been done to so many by so few. Wow. (laughs) Literally. That's how it happened. And it literally was. And I just did that. Put up the four fingers. Just did that. And And the promo subsided. And Tony Giovanni looked like somebody had just, he had seen a ghost. He He said, Arn. You just named you guys. That's great. <laughs> and and we went, okay. And whenever we got to that town and we went out there, I did it. He did it. Everybody kind of did it. Rick did it. And it was done. And it became a thing. Yeah. It literally just ran. I, and we didn't even talk about yeah, it. I didn't, no, didn't, it was, I didn't, they didn't say, what the hell is that four horseman thing you're talking a, about? A, a, month, a month or two months afterwards, we were in the Greensboro Coliseum. And in the tunnel, we were watching. And Jim Crockett was there. And he said, Tully, this, this four horseman thing is getting over, isn't it? <laughs> and I, I gave him, I was, I was kind of sarcastic back in those days. I gave, <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I gave him some who shot John look and just kind of walked back in the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> but you never know what's going to catch on. It's like oh. that's like the Austin 316 just off the top of his head and suddenly people get into it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we just recognized it. It's yeah. not like we really sat down and went, okay, hey, wait a minute. What just happened here? Let's dissect this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just just run with it. So you're talking about 1985. Um, would you say that was the peak of, of the Crockett territory at the time? Uh, but before you answer, I want to take a minute to tell everyone about something that got delivered to my house last week. Very cool, huge glass version of the Talk is Jericho logo, uh, as if it was a poster, but it's made of glass. Uh, I'll post a picture on the Talk is Jericho Twitter account, but the picture won't really do it justice. You got to see it for yourself. Basically, there's a company called Fracture, and Fracture turns your digital images into killer glass prints. It's exactly what it sounds like. They literally print your photos directly onto glass transforming your memories into handcrafted frameless prints. Uh, Fracture prints directly on durable glass that has soft edges for safe handling. The prints come in multiple sizes and don't require a frame. Each print is backed by Fracture's 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't love your print for any reason at all, Fracture will make it right. But trust me, you're going to love how great the glass prints look, and then you're going to want to buy them for all your family and friends. See, I'm already helping you with your holiday shopping in July. We're getting there already. And this is how easy it is to get your favorite photo printed on glass. Just upload your photo at FractureMe.com slash Jericho, and Fracture takes it from there. And of course, they're hooking up all of you Sexy Beast Talk as Jericho listeners with a special offer. Just go to FractureMe.com slash Jericho and use the promo code Jericho to get 20% off your order. That's 20% off your Fracture glass print at FractureMe.com slash Jericho. That's F. R-A-C-T-U-R-E, me.com slash Jericho, and use the promo code Jericho to get 20% off. So thanks to Fracture for the awesome glass print of the Talk is Jericho logo. Check that out at Talk is Jericho on the Twitter 
And thanks for sponsoring the show. Go look at them now and preserve your memories forever. At this point in time, you mentioned 85. Was that kind of the, the beginning of the peak of, of Crockett at the time? No, I would say the peak would be 87 was the hottest yeah. year. Gotcha. And yeah. then when we moved into 88, it was still really good right up until the point that we left, which was, I think, September of 88. Yeah. Mm-hmm. September. Yeah. Started to go down then? Well, and we did. No, it, 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 it started to go down when we left. Right. Gotcha. Because they, they tried to resurrect the horseman because it was the deal, but you can't resurrect you can't have a, a shelby gt without the engine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you're looking at the engine <laughs> that's great well here's the thing we were the part that a lot of people miss that don't even know about is right before we left we, we had the meeting where we found out we're not going to get our money we had just shot we're about three weeks into an angle with the midnight express who were heels also mm-hmm and you know how Cornette is, he's good on that stick. And we had had some banner back and forth. In those days, you did not have heels fighting heels. It was heels against baby faces. Mm-hmm. You never had that. And we shot that angle with those guys, and the thing flared up. I mean, it blew up. The Charlotte Coliseum was brand new at that time. And it was Luger and Flair on top, which they had already seen. And it was us and the Midnight Express. We did like... I want to say 13,000 fans mm. for Charlotte mm-hmm. and for a heel match. Mm-hmm. And then before we went any further with it, we, we put our notice in, and uh, it fueled business. Tommy Rogers and what was his partner? Bobby Fulton. Bobby Fulton. Fantastics. After we left, well, Crockett didn't change the, the advertising. He left that match intact. Oh, I see. Those guys walked in the door on some $8,000 weeks. They told me so. Mm-hmm. They took all of our bookings and they walked in the door and the business, I mean, it, ultimately I think that hurt Crockett a lot for the audience. False advertising. They got there, yeah, yeah false advertising. They, that's by no shape or form the same match that they paid for. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, like anything Especially else. Especially a month later, we popped up on WWE. <laughs> He's wrestling show. Yeah. And they're still advertising you in the in Crockett's company. Yeah. But that's how it was back in those days. You, you, you got paid on the house. Yep. You got yes. paid on the gate. Absolutely. So if the gate was the shits, you didn't get anything. So when you guys, who were some of your hottest teams that you worked against for you know crowd-wise and payoff-wise? I don't think anything was higher. I, I never felt anything like we broke Dusty's leg. Tell us about that angle. So that's one of the classics. It was incredible, yeah. It uh, it was the deal in the cage, right? Yeah, in Atlanta. It was a cage match. It was an end around. It was like the Russians were wrestling Flair. Wait a minute. Let me get this right. Who are the Russians wrestling? I don't remember. Nikita Koloff and, and Ivan Koloff. Yeah. It was a, either him or, or Darso or something. Anyway, how it it evolved down was we had, as the Russians were leaving, I think it was Dusty and somebody, wasn't it? No, I think Dusty came in the ring. He wasn't in the match. He came in to save me. Let me just skip 
ahead to get to the meat of it. We'll get the details from people online. I'll know the match. <laughs> if Cody was there, he'd know it all. Really good job, if, if Tony Khan was there, he'd know everything. Holy smoke. <laughs> I'm the same way. You can't remember anything that happened. Just remember the, the actual angle. So Dusty's in there the for actual, some reason. The actual angle is we got the door locked and Flair... Dusty had came down to save Flair, and then Flair turned on him. Gotcha. Some version right. of that. Yeah. And Oli and I were in there. Tully was in there, and we just put the wood to Dusty, and we had a riot. Mm. They opened the door for us to get out, and as we started to step out, about 15 people across and about 10 deep just pushed forward <laughs> and shut the door back on us. <laughs> like, scared me to death. Wow. Yeah. Guys started coming down, baby faces, and I mean Ricky and Robert, some value baby faces, and we're knocking them off the cage. They're not getting it done either, and nobody's doing anything about this, and we're continuing to stomp Dusty's leg, stomp his leg, stomp his leg. And, brother, they finally got the door open again, and it took us about 20 minutes to get to the dressing mm. room. They beat the ever-loving piss out of us, they being the audience. Right. Man, we all had splits in our head, and I mean, it was like they were throwing shit. They beat yeah. us up. Had it not been for 10 Atlanta police officers with their nightsticks beating them back, they saved our lives that night. That's I have insane. no doubt they saved yeah. our lives. Anybody right. was there that night, they're a fan. If you could find fans that were there that night, they'll tell you. It was a full-blown riot. You should have just stayed in the cage. <laughs> I was happy with that. <laughs> but see, just think about that, and people don't understand, because I... I I had a couple riots, nothing like this, but that's completely gone now, that side of the coin. But in this day, people still were like, if you're going to beat up Dusty Rhodes, they're feeling it, and they, they're legitimately oh angry and pissed off at you guys. It's real. And we'd, and we'd already done the, uh, the arm thing, hadn't we? Yeah, we had already broke his arm where we tied him to a truck. Mm -hmm. This was deeper in, you know, where we, the, the company needed a shot in the ass, which leads us to your original question. He was out a while, and, and we just talked about it and laughed about it, and we built that up. It flamed up about Dusty, and, it, and he just let us get heat for weeks and weeks and months. And he, we came back from that injury. It was him and the Road Warriors against yep. Rick, wow. Tully, and I in Philadelphia. And, buddy, the Road Warriors music hit. We hadn't seen Dusty in months. That door flew open, and they had painted him up, too. Oh, yeah. Man, goosebumps. The Arne's goosebumps. Got goosebumps. Oh, when they're, yeah. coming down that, when they're coming down that aisle, those people in Philly were, as you can imagine, mm -hmm. you know, that's a blood. They're ready to much. riot as it is, just in general principles. <laughs> they knew what was coming, and boy, were they right. Oh, wow. Those guys slid in that ring, and, uh, man, they were so high, we didn't want to let it dip at all we just slid right back in and the fight started wide open six six way and it it was pretty much a six way for the next 10 or 12 minutes with them just tagging in and us feeding them mm. i don't know the i don't remember exactly but i don't think we even got any heat in the match mm. oh no they beat us up for 12 minutes and beat us right in the middle which is what it's they what should was have called done. for that's right yeah it's exactly the right thing to do we just we slow them down just enough to tag out and the guy coming in would go right into a, a lion's mouth roaring. It was it see, was but that, beautiful. That's, that's the sign of a of a great heel. You understand? Like we we adapted that kind of principle for the stadium stampede, where each member of the elite put a nail in the casket of each guy in the inner circle. 
everybody's beat. All five of us are down. We're done. And then the next thing you come out and do something dastly, get your heat all back and doesn't matter. Yeah. But when it's time to put the baby faces over, you got to put them over big time. Strong. Yeah. 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 They don't pay to see us beat them up. Right. Or they didn't. Oh, they no. They pay to see them kick our ass. Yes. Mm. And we always gave our, our, our whole philosophy was get enough heat to get beat up for the next five minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go back, get enough heat to get beat up for five more minutes. That's <laughs> true. So how was it working with, with the Road Warriors? Because this is an 85 Road Warriors. They're jacked to the gills, 280, 300 pounds. And I'm not, I've never worked with either of them, but there's certain guys over the years that it's a lethal combination of big and strong and completely the shits. <laughs> Did the Road Warriors fall into that category or do they have a little bit... Because when they're big and strong in the shits, you're in trouble. You, you got no hope. They got better than that. But. Okay, good. <laughs> well, Chris, they, after about two matches of us saying we would like to do this and this and this and this and this for you, and then going out and putting it where it goes and doing it, and again, it was just them pressing us, mm-hmm. big tackle, through the ropes, all the big stuff that they could do. We were plugging it in for them, so then they trusted us. They got good enough and polished enough that they could do all those big moves and with the transitions and us just feeding them. Yeah. That it was, I would say, better than passable. And when they left the ring, which was the key, we hadn't taken any of the edge off of Mm -hmm. the way they looked because it's hard to follow a look like that and make their physicality. Sure. Be as good as the look. Mm-hmm. I mean, those shoulder pads, and they were both huge. Hawk with those big traps. Joe was thick as as hell. Three thirty. I mean, he was Jeez. big. I mean, six hundred bencher, all that stuff. It was all, and you know, painted up with the bright colors. Right. It, it just it it was a spectacle. And if you didn't make them the Road Warriors, then you failed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was our challenge at night, to go make them the Road Warriors, just like Dusty. Yeah, we could have grounded Dusty and kept him down and tagged in and out and beat the piss out of him. You think that's what the audience wants to see the American dream doing? Get him down, get him bleeding, and buddy, when this starts, shit's on. Mm-hmm. And the elbows come. Yeah, yeah. And, and you knew what you had when he was on his feet jabbing, even if it, Ole used to hate it when we would all feed Dusty, <laughs> and he's jabbing with us. A and we're all in a row with our heads, you know, popping back. Yeah. And uh, the, the rigmarole, uh, and shitty punch. Oh, yeah. But but he, he hit all four of us. Oh, like the three stooges? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, 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 we'd be up there taking the elbow, and all four of us are, Bob's like. <laughs> one punch took all you down. Yeah, and he, he refused. He'd been only a couple of nights. He refused to come in and feed that. He said, "That's the worst thing I've ever seen." Like, okay, you can be you can be involved in this, or you can stand over there looking like a jackoff, <laughs> buddy. I'm having fun because if you heard what I heard, you might not buy mm-hmm. it, but all them did. <laughs> was Dusty Booker at this point in time? Yes. Yes. How was he as a Booker? Because you always hear different stories about it. I thought just being in the ring with Dusty Rhodes was to me. I was star- If he walked in this room right now, I'd be as starstruck as the first time mm. I met him. I think that he had a lot of great ideas, and I think the biggest thing, if you tell the truth, besides having some of the ideas he brought up from Florida, from Eddie Graham, 
is he had the best crew ever assembled in the history of the business. That's a great point. Yes. 85, 86, 87 NWA, is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. That era? When you got Brad Armstrong in the Jeez. first match. Great point. <laughs> Tim Horner. Yeah. And, got, and it grew, though. I mean, it was, we got all those guys over periods. Yeah. I mean, you got Buddy Landale, you know, mm -hmm. who, who his demise was unfortunate, which he brought on himself. He killed his own career. Mm-hmm. But the guy was red hot when he came to Carolinas. He jumped right on the Flair thing, and Buddy Flair was God mm. in the Carolinas at that time. You know, you got the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express, and all these guys came in in about in about a month period. Mm -hmm. Just a flood of talent. Yeah, it was a very tag team friendly Garvin, company, right? Jimmy Garvin. Yes. Yeah. You know, it was. I was. I. You weren't. You weren't quite there yet when Dusty first took over the book in uh, end of 84. And uh, you came in- March of 85. March of 85. So I was, I was there and uh, had a short meeting with Dusty. And he said, what do we got to do to get this thing going? You've been a booker. And I said, Because well, you had booked in Texas. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I said, you, I said, you got to put the best against the best. That, that's the best rule. He said, well, Wahoo is wanting to work with me and blah, 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 because Wahoo had switched heel a little bit with me. And uh, the first sellout since, since I had been back there in 84 was me and Wahoo against Flair and Mulligan in an Indian rope strap Death match. match or whatever, yeah. yeah. And so I told Dusty, and, and this is the only time I've, I've ever done anything career self-motivating. I said, well, Dusty, I said, I'd put Wahoo against Flair and let him beat the shit out of each other. And I said, I'd put me against you because I'll make you look great. Mm. And that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And that started my relationship with Dusty, which was a very good one. And it just, when Arn came in to be part of the Andersons and Ole came in, and then the whole thing at the end of 80, that was at the end of 85, Mm-hmm. When when the Horseman thing happened, and I was I was the odd man out because I wasn't part of the Anderson family, and but I was working with Dusty and that eight man tag match. <laughs> that's what, Hallelujah, I'm in it. That's that's and that's what wrestling's all about is, is the timing, right? <laughs> well, yeah, t you just said it. Timing, timing, is, timing is everything. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about Ric Flair because this is uh, when he was at his peak as a draw in the business. I'm sure you got a lot of stories. Probably some you can't tell. But speaking of stories, every family has one. And Ancestry DNA can help bring those family stories to life. An Ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from. And Ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover their personal stories. You might find a famous relative or maybe a photo of your great-grandmother as a little girl. Whatever you discover, it's sure to change the whole way you look at your family history and yourself. After all, the story of your family is the story of you. And you can order it right now at Ancestry.com slash Jericho. Ancestry can help you trace the path of your recent ancestors and learn how and why your family moved from place to place around the world. Researching your family is a fun activity for the whole family. No other DNA test delivers such a unique interactive experience. And I know because I've done it. I took the Ancestry DNA test. I've had a great time sharing my results with my family. It's made my kids more curious about where they come from. They're asking more questions about their relatives and I've shared my results with my Auntie Joan 
and uh, my goddaughter, Brittany, who've been our family historians for all these years. It's helped them with the family tree and the records that they keep. Easy to start making discoveries with Ancestry. Grab an Ancestry DNA kit and start a free trial to amplify your discoveries with Ancestry's billions of records. Start exploring your family story today. Go to Ancestry.com slash Jericho and get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial now. That's Ancestry.com slash Jericho. Find out where your history lies. Let's talk a little bit about, about Flair, just because this is Flair at his peak as well as a draw and as, as a worker. Before you guys, even even Luger at the time probably just learned so much from you guys. But what was what was it like watching Flair at his peak, basically, and being his his partners during that time? The thing that amazed me, which which I was a rookie, which in those days you said you were a rookie till about four years, mm. and, and in those days that was over 1,200 matches because you were working over 300 days. So right. that's a lot of matches. Right, right, right. You know, there are guys <laughs> that have 10-year careers that don't have that many matches. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing that amazed me, and I, I learned something from all these guys, but just how over he was, no matter what he did in that ring, he was he was a baby face. It's crazy, Chris. He was a baby face in the Carolinas, but he was a heel everywhere else. Yeah. And we would do Atlanta TV, which went everywhere, but it, it was crazy. No matter who he worked with, he was a babyface in the Carolinas. Move him. And he and they the fans wanted him to be a babyface anyway. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for me and him keeping him pulled <laughs> yeah. on the dark side. <laughs> more him. Yeah. Oh, more Tully. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. was the one that kept the heat on us. Mm-hmm. I would find nights where they would be cheering for me for no apparent reason. But booing the piss out of him, it, it was really just just nuts. And I think that was more of that. Okay, I'm one of the Andersons. Ole and I were partners. I'm home team because they cut their teeth in the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. Wrestling fans and and you know true wrestling fans are really loyal. Stuff that gets over, it's still over with them. Oh yeah. 35, 40 years later. When they were teenagers, I can't tell you how many times do you have people come up to you because you're an old timer now, you little fart. Not as old as you. Thanks for no joke. Thank you. You, uh, See, that was a comeback. (laughs) Come on, feed me, Arn. No, but you're right. And and what you're saying, too, is is the reason why people might cheer the Four Horsemen is because of the Four Horsemen sign. Fans love to be included with that stuff. So I could see guys like you and me, all three of us, if we were wrestling fans in the crowd – and these four cool-looking guys who got their shit together holding up the sign, I'd be all in. You know what I mean? Sure. I can see why some – it might be one of the first examples of being a heel that people think is cool. Well, and they started to figure out, hey, the good guys aren't really knocking those guys down. Yeah. Those are the guys that are creating all the excitement. Right. And I knew as a fan, when that happened for me, whatever age that was, 15 or whatever – Dick Slater and Bob Orton were the team that did it, and there mm-hmm. were heels on Atlanta TV. Gary Hart was their manager, and it's like they were out there having a match with, I don't even remember who it was, but I went, wait a minute. Those are the guys doing all the stuff. These guys aren't really knocking them down. They're just, and I didn't know the terminology for it, but they're feeding them. Right. And in a great way and making mm-hmm. them look like Godzilla. Whenever those guys have a match, it's always good. Four Horsemen. Yes, I used to think that about you know certain teams. Like whenever they're in the ring, it's always good. Yeah. How can that be? Why, why does every time Randy Savage is in the ring with Ricky Steamboat, 
obviously, or honky tonk man or guys that are further down in the work rate. Why is it always good? And then you start figuring, oh, because he's the one who's running the show. Right. And they figure out you're dedicated to making it like that for them every mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Every time they buy a ticket, they know no matter what they see all night, in any combination, the four of us, we're going to go out and make it good for them, mm-hmm. for the audience. That's your job. As and, and for the guys. And for the baby faces. Because right. they're the ones that draw money. Right. Heels don't draw money. Mm-hmm. Baby faces do. Mm-hmm. But you got to create <clears throat> a scenario to, to why you want them. Well, it's like a movie. To kick your ass. You know, if the, if the action hero is getting the shit kicked out of him in the movie, and then at the end he makes his big comeback and wins, that's what you want to see. But there has to be some shit getting kicked out of you to make the oh, people interested. God, I'm out of here, for sure. Speaking of that, what was it like uh, like Ricky and Robert, Ricky Morton's one of the best sellers <laughs> ever. It must have been a pleasure to work with those guys. For any team of that era, there was no better scenario than to see your name written down beside those guys. Hmm. For a heel team, oh my God. We did an hour Broadway in a cage <laughs> in Greensboro. Yeah. In a cage, too. Nowhere to go. And they were the champions. <laughs> wow. Which, you know what? You know, you're a psychologist. You know what had to happen in the match, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. We beat them up for yeah. an hour. Yeah, that's right. Especially if you're, if you're not going over. They're the, they were going over clean, and they were the <laughs> champions, and they were great about it. But yeah. we beat them up for, I'd say, 50 minutes. <laughs> And, man, once you got Ricky Morton bleeding with that white hair, he looked 12 years old. Yeah. Oh, God. I can't tell you how many times Tully would shoot him out. I'd drop down to the floor to run him into the rail or something. And as I bent over to get him, whack, some little old lady would break her walking stick across my back. (laughs) And I sold the piss out of it. It hurts. Yeah, it stung a little bit. And I'm not... I say a lot. It must have happened eight to ten times, mm-hmm. which is a lot mm-hmm. for something that odd. I mean, no regard for getting arrested, anything else. No. And that was before barricades. I mean, that was the piece of rope. A string. <laughs> yeah, you had a one strand of rope separating you from the audience. Did you guys get attacked by the crowd quite a bit? You mentioned the riot, and this was a lot of times that happened. No. People once again still believing that it's real, that they're, you're going to kick their ass if they touch you. We still, yeah, yeah. Ole got cut real bad, but that was years before any of this stuff happened. Right. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a lot of people jump on us. I guess that's why, you know, we would make sure that we would get out of there. Whatever happened, if it was a heat finish, we would get out of there quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, if if it was something different. But you always wanted to leave the baby faces up at the end of the night anyway. No matter what. So as long as they were in the ring capturing a lot of the attention, you could make your way pretty quickly mm. and get out of there if you're smart. Pull if you're a runner, around, yeah. you're going to get bombed with shit. <laughs> Especially because the show's over. Throw me out. Yeah. show's over, right? That's right. And depending on the town, too. I'm, I know Cleveland, we, we wrestled downtown Cleveland and hadn't been there in forever. And God, they started bombing you with batteries from the, from the balcony. Yeah. Uh, that's the night that the yeah. uh, half pint liquor bottle came from the upper deck. And I just caught something coming out of the corner of my eye and it went, it hit on the mat and just skipped across the mat right back out of the ring. If that hit you in the head. Oh yeah, you'd be done. I mean, plausibly kill you. I got hit with a D battery in San Francisco. One big giant, those a big, big one. Like who the f- is bringing D batteries to the show? 
<laughs> to, th- to throw them or did you have some kind of a, a you know a boom box with you or something i think you might have had some heat way before that day ever got there yeah. that was a planned attack on you attack. young man <laughs> let's talk a little bit about uh the, the traveling you hear about the four horsemen and, and crockett's jet and the planes and all that stuff you guys are living living high on the on the horse better believe it mm. it's uh there's no other way to put it it's he bought he should have bought one plane the Gulf Stream, which could carry the whole crew, mm-hmm. but was slower. But it was big and wide. You get up and walk around. Had a real big bathroom yeah. on it. Sixteen people, wasn't it? Full of beer. It holds sixteen people and it had captain's chairs. I mean, mm-hmm. it was designed to haul an athletic team. Right. The other one was the I'm Elvis plane. It was a ten-seat Falcon. And brother, when that thing took off, it went straight up. Uh-huh. I mean, it was a jet jet. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they hadn't have bought that plane, I think they would have had a much better profit at the end of the year. That mm-hmm. thing was like 4500 bucks an, an hour to operate mm-hmm. in those or days, mm-hmm. you know, and which is pretty stout. But, hey, to pull out to Butler Aviation, and uh, we all bought Mercedes. You know, we thought we were going to be... <laughs> Live forever. Yeah, you know, we were Led Zeppelin, brother. Why not? And we bought it the same day. We all went, showed up, and we bought four. He bought two. <laughs> he bought two Mercedes. It's well, his and her. Yeah, bought his wife one, bought himself, but he had to show us up. So you'd pull out to Butler Aviation. They would let you pull this out. Times have changed. they let you pull right out to the plane. Mm-hmm. Pilots would get your bags out of the car. Your wife would usually bring you or something. Mm-hmm. Take your bags, you'd walk up the steps, sit down, she'd pull back through the gate, drop you off, leave, mm-hmm. and uh, fly on those private planes, we'd land, Rick wanted limos, he got limos, limos waiting at the steps, walk down the steps, get in the limousine, go straight to the Marriott, check in. Now, depending on what time of day it was, you might, you might go to the gym, you might have already been that mm-hmm. morning, you know. And uh, we go have the show, go right back to the Marriott, or sometimes go back to the plane and go to the next town. Mm -hmm. Or go back home. Or Mm. go, even better, go back home. If it was west of the Mississippi, if it was east of the Mississippi, we'd go back to Charlotte. And it would be the same flight crew, same pilots? Same pilots. We had four full-time pilots. Wow. Did they hang out with you guys sometimes, or did you have to stay away from them? They had a few drinks. (laughs) Until we finally figured out, you know, they would come there and I'd look over and it's like, okay, it's three in the morning. We're leaving at 11. He's laying down in the floor over there. The man that is going to, Freddie Floyd, that is going to pilot us in less than eight hours is laying in the floor asleep. Many times, <laughs> not to discredit Freddie, who was a hell of a pilot, but many times we would thump up those steps and look up. The first thing we would do is look uh, up there in that captain's chair, and Freddie would be sweating his ass off, <laughs> hung over as he could be. <laughs> uh, we'd look at Pat Jordan, who was the co-pilot, and it would be just a little suggestion, but y'all might want to swap seats. <laughs> Oh man! And flying? Did you ever have any uh, high spots flying on the plane? You know, there was one. Uh, the fog one. 
The one in Canada, it was on the Gulf Stream where something all got on something and it, the cabin oh, filled yeah. up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, filled the up ca- with smoke. The cabin filled up with yep. smoke. That was pretty scary. That, yep. was, that was when the guy booked the tour that we never got paid for. Yeah. One of your fellow Canadians that played for, who's uh, a legend up there. What was his name? They played football for Angelo the Mosca. Angelo Mosca. Angelo Mosca. Mosca, yeah. He ran a tour, three or four day tour. Yeah. Up there, and the, the Gulf Stream filled up with smoke. That was a little scary. Yeah, that was. And then we it was we were coming back. I think it was from St. Louis, flying back to Charlotte, and it was fog, almost. And I said, Freddie, I said, because I, I rode on the jump seat a lot, mm-hmm. and up with the pilots. And so I'm I'm going, Freddie, Freddie, I can't see the ground. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I was up there enough to where I knew which button there well dial which style. which dial yeah. was had your altitude yeah. and that kind of stuff and we we broke through the clouds could see the ground and hit the ground wow and i went holy crap <laughs> and uh that was a y'all y'all didn't really weren't in on that one quite as much no, i'm but. fine with not being on <laughs> So you guys have talked about leaving Crockett to go to the WWE, but you had already spoken to Vince before giving notice. I want to clarify that and get into that story. But first, I want to tell everybody what I did with all the stuff around my house that my family just doesn't use anymore. I sold it on Mercari. I know a lot of you guys are probably in the same boat. You've been stuck at home during the Rona, so you've cleaned out your garages and your closets. But now you've got tons of perfectly good stuff that you just don't need or use anymore. Maybe it's clothes that no longer fit or sports equipment that your kids have outgrown old devices you no longer use, people people will pay good money to buy your stuff on the Mercari app. It's the fast and easy way to sell almost anything that you have and make some extra cash. In the meantime, just download the Mercari app, take some pictures of your stuff, add a description, and it's listed. It's that easy. And once it's sold, Mercari emails a shipping label, you stick it on a box, and uh, ship it right from your home. No meetups, no hassles, no masks, no social distances uh, needed. Uh, the Mercari app is over 700,000 reviews on the App Store with an average 4.8 star rating. And with millions of people using the Mercari app in all 50 states, the stuff really sells. This is actually social distance selling. It's the perfect way to get rid of your stuff and social distance at the same time. So give it a try now. Try Mercari and make some extra cash. Sell and buy almost anything from home on Mercari. You find it on the App Store or Mercari.com. That's M-E-R-C-A-R-I, Mercari. America's no meetup marketplace. Download today and sell that stuff. Imagine the reason why you guys uh, left Crockett, but going to WWE. Did you had you spoken to Vince before you gave your notice with Crockett? Yes. So you guys come in, and most guys that go to the WWE have some kind of a gimmick change, name change, whatever it may be. You guys didn't. You just gave you the name of the Brainbusters. How did that come about? We locked out. I think. Um, they asked us for new names. Obviously, they were pretty clear that the, we don't see the Four Horsemen bullshit. Right. Which you couldn't avoid for a short period of time. Vince hated it because he never, he never created it, so he didn't want anything to do with oh, it. Oh, and, right. and when the fans would put it up, they sent guys out in the audience to pull them all down. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the well, first we, night. We, we didn't do this, of course. but they were all doing it, and it was pretty uncomfortable. And after about two or three weeks of not giving it back to them, the audience got pretty much pissed mm-hmm. and just quit doing it. It, just, gotcha. it was like, right. it was like, Hey man, you know, 
we watch both shows, you yeah, know. This, you can't do that. We like this. Yeah, give you want, us something back. You can't give us the four fingers here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you came in to talk to Vince, what kind of a meeting did you have to create whatever gimmick or whatever it was going to be? Well, Barry Darso was already there. He was half a demolition, mm-hmm. and he was having a good run, and they liked him up there. He had sent word to me a couple of times, hey, Vince has kind of said, you know, if you guys aren't ever not happy, come on up. Well, we were happy till then because mm-hmm. things were going well. And if we would have gotten paid like we should have got paid for the pay-per-view that they told us we were going to make, when, it, when your boss walks in and says, I'd like, listen, we got a pay-per-view coming up. I want to pay you guys X amount of dollars. Don't you think that's going to happen? Sure. Or why would you ever Shouldn't do have said that in beforehand? The first place. Yeah. Just, you have the show, you get paid what you get paid, and you right. go from there. So that, that was the reason we left. Which, which pay-per-view was that? What match was it? Do you recall? It was, uh, it was our first pay-per-view in Baltimore. It was the first one. Mm-hmm. In, uh, was it the Metal? No, it was the Meadowlands, wasn't it? Was it the Meadowlands? No, the first pay-per-view was in Baltimore. It was in Baltimore. And we wrestled on the opener. But the opener was Sting and somebody, wasn't Nikita. it? Sting it's a fairly Nikita. big match then. Yeah. So we tore the joint down right. on purpose. It, it was one of those follow that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was... Just them beating us up again for 20 <laughs> minutes. But, uh, you know, and then we got our checks, and mine was way less than half. Mm-hmm. It was less than half of what he talked about. And uh, and I got a hold of Barry, and I said, hey, they're not going to make this thing right for us. And then they started beating us real quick mm-hmm. on TV for no apparent reason with some good guys, but still, I mean, you can see the writing on the wall. We went out one night and had a 15-minute match, I think, with the Midnight's Dark. I think it was Houston or something. Tore the joint down. This was right before we quit. Well, 30 minutes later, they had me go right back out with Steve Williams and put him over in three minutes, mm. which I could – Steve Williams could have beat me in 30 seconds. Right. It's not the point. It's the principle. He just buried us and the Midnight Express, right. you know, one of those deals. So we uh, – we uh, talked to, I talked to Barry. I said, you know, tell Vince we're interested. And like pretty soon, he said, let me get back to you. Call me back in 30 minutes. He said, where are you guys at? Well, we were going to Philly. That was going to be the next show. He said, uh, Vince is going to have, he says, tell me where you're going to fly out of, where are you going to be, you're close to an airport and all that. So we came in on the private plane, Philly. Next morning we got up early, flew to New York. Had a limo pick us up, took us to his house. We met with him out by the pool. Wow. Which I thought, man, what the hell have we been waiting on? <laughs> and you know how he is. Yep. He, had his, he had his pep talk, and we left there about four <laughs> feet off the ground. <laughs> Felt like floating. And, and he made some promises, you know, that would come into play later in our career for the reason it, it never panned out and mm-hmm. reason we left. But, so I guess my point is, why did he not want to give you guys some kind of different names and different different gimmick? Back to the original deal. Yeah. 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 Well, he asked. Yeah. Sorry about that. That's all right. He asked for, you know, can you go? And we couldn't come up with anything. You know, he and I tried to. And, you know, we, we were just. I think just Heenan us, came up with us. Brainbusters. Well, they said, well, we're going to put you with Bobby Heenan. Oh, wow. And I think Bobby said, hell, let's call him the Brainbusters, mm-hmm. which gave us immediate credibility. Yeah. Immediate credibility and chris he our costuming was just normal you know just mm-hmm. red and white boots red tights whatever the deal it wasn't 
nothing special, and he didn't mess with that. Mm-hmm. He just let us gave be, us a, a different logo thing mm-hmm. that we had on the back of the jackets that were. And he said, he said about about six months into it, one day we talked to him. He just went, you know, you guys give credibility to my to my company, mm-hmm. to my business. Yeah, you lend credit. I think he said you lend credibility to my business, and I think looking back on it, that's why he didn't dress us up. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the same thing you did with Harley. He was just Harley Race. He became the king Harley Race, but it was Harley Race. Yeah, he didn't yeah. come in as you know Drake the Ice Cream Man or something like that. You can't overcome something, you know, when it's that firmly embedded. Right. It, it was fun because back in those days, there was no internet or, or you know any way to find anything out. All you had was the you know the Aptor mags. And I never really got to see NWA growing up in Winnipeg, but I read the magazine, so I had seen you know, Arn and Tully. But when you guys came in WWF, it was like, oh my gosh, it was exciting. They're here now? They're called the Brain Busters? That's great. You know, it was, it was yeah. kind of cool to see the jumping back and forth back in those days. It was exciting. Yeah, it was a yeah. thing as a surprise. Yeah, I know. And, you, and you could watch Brett and the Anvil beat us up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. Is that who you got put with first? No, no, SummerSlam. It was it was uh, it was a big match for us because we had the the titles, mm-hmm. and we were coming off of uh, the screw job with Demolition and being with with the Heenan family and all that. It, that was a big match, and they gave us some time, and they actually had us go over, mm. which was in those days was pretty big deal because for some reason it was a non-title match Mm -hmm. which i'm thinking and i think brett you know felt the same way that they should go over i didn't care one way or the other i just wanted to if it's a non-title match the baby faces win to lead to a title match right right you know so which made made sense to me and i was fine with anything just getting to work with those guys because that's the only time we worked with them Hmm. once just that one time right no we worked the whole that whole canadian tour after we, that? we we did the one we did did the pay per view we did, but then we did a Canadian tour because I can remember in Maple Leaf Garden, mm-hmm. uh, the anvil was brutal, <laughs> like well, brutally beating brutal. you up. Or, yeah. Why don't you do something about it? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, that's another three hundred pound uh, lunatic, right? <laughs> so maybe there's a reason I can't remember that. Blocked <laughs> it out. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the biggest differences between uh, Crockett and NWBF at the time. Uh, and you can tell us what you remember about that. But first, I want to say thanks to the longtime Talk is Jericho sponsor. During this pandemic, they've been here week in, week out. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home today is so much more than it was yesterday. But at Rocket Mortgage, home is still all about you. During these challenging times we're all experiencing, the top priority at Rocket Mortgage is the health and safety of the communities they serve. And while things are changing quickly every day, One thing that will never change is their team's commitment to giving you the best mortgage experience possible. And that's why if you need mortgage support, their team of experts is here to answer questions and offer solutions. They understand that hardships happen. They're here to help you. And whether that means working with you to save money on your mortgage or finding a new way to navigate payments, if you have questions, the team at Rocket Mortgage has answers. They know how important your home is to you because you are important to them. If you need mortgage assistance, the home loan experts at Rocket Mortgage are available to help 24 hours a day, seven days a week from their home to yours. The team at Rocket Mortgage is with you. Just visit rocketmortgage.com slash Jericho to learn more. That's rocketmortgage.com slash Jericho. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org. Number 3030. 
What were some of the biggest differences that you guys can remember between you know Crockett and, and, and Vince's company? Um, ring size. Ring size, interesting. Crockett's ring was smaller, and mm. that ring really felt big. Mm-hmm. You know, just things like reverse a turnbuckle, there were more steps involved. Mm. And when you first do it, the first night, you're starting to turn, and you're still about <laughs> four or five feet out. <laughs> Timing's way off. Yeah, 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 and you figured out pretty soon, okay, that makes a difference in the steps because they were just automatic in your head, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, rings were hard. Really? And uh, funny story, like our first house show loop, we worked with Jimmy Powers in Roma, and we went out and we just did what we always did. We had a match mm-hmm. with them. Well, as I we came back through the curtain, there was Barry Darso right here. Come with me. He pulled me aside. He said, what the hell was all that bullshit? What, what, what are you guys out there bouncing around for those guys for? They're underneath guys. Mm-hmm. And, and I looked at him and he looked at me and we were really, I was kind of shocked because mm-hmm. he was pissed. He said, you know, we don't do that up here. You better, you know, you need to check with me on this stuff. Well, the thing was, the ring was so hard, we made them, everybody look bad. Right. We're bouncing around out there, and that was part of the reason, the unsaid reason, I bet you, if you could get guys from that era to tell you the truth, the reason everybody was into the walking and the talking and the character stuff is because they didn't have to take bumps. Mm. Because that ring hurt. Wow. It was... I mean, it was big difference in that one at Crocs, Crockett's ring. You're just shrugging your shoulders, though. <laughs> we didn't take very many press slams. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that the same thing happened to me my first match in WCW. It was against uh, Mr. JL, Jerry Lynn. Yep. Same thing that you guys just said. Went out and had a match and came back afterward. It was Terry Taylor. It was like, what's, what's wrong with you? That was the shits. I was like, why? You gave him way too much. Well, I didn't know. No one told me anything. I just did the match that I always do is just have a... Yeah. Trying to the best match you can, but th- that's yep. something you learn as you progress up the ladder. Yeah, you know. Well, well, hey, we did, and but then as soon as we got in with the Rockers, yeah, that's what I remember. That shit went out went out the window again because we're flying all over the place for those guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We saw right away these two are really good, mm. and if uh, if we don't take advantage of this, we're fools. Mm-hmm. And we catered entirely to their style and did all their stuff. A lot of guys up there because it was still the big guy mm-hmm. era, which I hated. You know, you weren't going to have demolition flying around for those guys. You weren't going to have the powers of pain flying around mm-hmm. for those guys. You know, all, all the monsters, probably the hearts, weren't going to fly around. Mm-hmm. Not Anvil wasn't going to fly around for those guys. So we wanted to get the very best we could out of them. And uh, let's talk about because I haven't really spoken to anybody that really worked with the Rockers. Obviously, with Sean at length. But never talking about them as a team. So what was their magic as a team, and why did you like working with them so much? Oh, they, they, they were much like Robert and Ricky. Mm-hmm. You know, they could both sell, both have comebacks. They both had fire. They were both handsome. And the, you know, beautiful baby faces are just fun to beat up. <laughs> you know. <laughs> There's the headline for the show. <laughs> You should know that. Yeah. I used to be one. Yes. <laughs> but then same with you, Arn, just the, their athletic ability. and Because the, they were kind of pioneers at that time. They were. If you go back and look at their stuff, which for today's world, is it doesn't, you don't go, okay, well, that was so much better than this. Because today, I don't know how these kids even think of what stuff they do. But 
in those days, I mean, just like Shawn Michaels reversing towards the turnbuckle, he would just run right up the turnbuckle and turn a flip in mm-hmm. the air and land behind you. He wouldn't touch nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, Jannetty just did little quirky things like he'd come off the ropes, you go to hip toss him. He would just spin around on your arm and land on his feet mm-hmm. right there. It was just yeah. different than anything not only had we seen, the audience hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of the teams wanted to let those guys do what they were capable of mm-hmm. because it was such a competitive deal back then. Everybody was fighting to get a notch above the other guys, you know, mm-hmm. on that pecking order. And when we figured out what all they could do and they opened up to us, man, we weren't going to waste that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just, well, I, the thing that, that created our success was making baby faces. And that was what we tried to do there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we did, even, even with Demolition and some of the other ones. You know, we just went out and kind of, we had to adapt a little bit because of what they could do. But it was still enough heat to give comebacks. Mm-hmm. And That's the secret, right? Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because there was such a, like you mentioned, such a size difference when you're talking about WWE because everybody was just a monster and a giant and you guys aren't monsters and giants, but yep. you still fit in with all those teams because you could work to make everybody look good. That's a, you know, a secret. Yeah, and you know it's funny. You know Barry Darso and I were good friends and stuff, but it's like we we would do a deal where Barry would hit the ropes by our corner, totally drive a knee in his back. I'd be legal, and as he he sold out a couple steps, he'd let me vertical suplex him, mm. and I stand him up and hold him. Nobody had done that with mm-hmm. them, those guys. Just that one thing, mm-hmm. boom, even though he kicked out and kicked out strong, that one thing the audience had never seen them do made me. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to do much else from an offensive right, point right. because no one had ever done it to them. Mm-hmm. You know, they were their road warriors. They steamrolled everybody, yeah. and they were dominant during matches. Uh, you know, Bulldogs and uh, the Bulldog and, and Davy Boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. British Bulldog. Dynamite, yeah. Great team. Mm. Great team. But they sold, those guys sold for demolition like demolition was the Road Warriors. Mm-hmm. Everybody did. Everybody did. It took five of us and a giant and a chair to take the titles <laughs> off of them if you go back and watch the match. Yeah, Andre gave you guys a chair. To- <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> How was he to be around at that point in time, Andre? If he liked you, he was a very, very nice man. Mm-hmm. If he didn't, Ooh. you better mm-hmm. you better just quit the business. <laughs> I mean, he was he came in the room every night. He had his bottles of wine. He played cards till time for his match. We'd go out and have his match. He would come back. He would play cards. But if there was anything, if somebody walked in that locker room that he didn't want in there. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> yeah, it, it could have been somebody that was supposed to be in there—a guy that was bringing in toilet paper yeah. or something, you know, just anything. Yeah. And uh, and he was the thing that we identified pretty quickly was he was in such bad back pain. Mm. He was hurting so bad, Chris. We would see him try to get in a, a first-class seat on the plane, and he couldn't sit normal. He mm. would have to get sideways. I guess it was a sack. Sure. And you just, you hated it because here's this giant, there's the biggest guy in the world, and you could just see the tears in his eyes mm-hmm. from the chronic pain. And every morning was a six o'clock flight, 
he would try to after the show he would try to drink himself down gotcha. where he could get some sleep a couple of hours because if you wasn't on that six o'clock flight your ticket was no good right that was those non-refundable ones in those days you missed that flight you had to buy your own ticket mm. to town so mm-hmm. we were all on it every morning six o'clock just winding down here, uh, talk a little bit about Bobby Heenan. He gave you credibility right when you came in. Still, in my opinion, maybe the greatest manager ever. Yeah. Definitely one of the greatest commentators ever. Funny guy, like just a total blast to be around. At least when I hung out with him. Oh, yeah. Same for you guys. The Absolutely. funniest, I think. Yeah. All right, nonstop. Yeah. Nonstop. If he, was, if he was sitting here and you looked at him and you went, Bobby, shoes untied. Boom, he would hit you with a, a funny comeback. I mean, just that quick. Yeah. No setup, no thought process, nothing. No matter what you said to him, he had, and he was just hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was, I mean, it was like light years as far as being so quick with a rebuttal. Mm-hmm. No matter what you said to mm-hmm. him, he had, had something good. And, you know, one of the things that I don't think Bobby got enough credit for, when it was time, he would pop up on that apron a uh, baby face would run him down the apron and he would eat that cross piece with his chest. Wham! Mm-hmm. And take the god awfulest bump you ever saw. And <laughs> as good as anybody in the match. Yeah. And when yeah. it was the right time, boom, and that hair would be flying and shaking <laughs> and, and it looked like you'd killed the guy. Yeah. And it added so much to the match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bobby was, I was fortunate because he was managing Nick Bockwinkle with the, with the, AWA, AWA, yeah. and my dad would bring Bockwinkle down and Bobby down. Well, they'd stay at at my house, and so I'd I'd get the all night version of, <laughs> of that. And you know when he'd come down for two or three shots, and this was before I even went to North Carolina, mm-hmm. and uh, he he was great to be around in the business, in the dressing room, outside. Mm-hmm. He he's the same way all the time, right, right, right. and. Uh, so it was it was great when when they put uh, him with us, mm-hmm. and it and it did give us the credibility that instantaneously right. that. But, but and, and you guys were in the WWE just for a short period of time, and that was basically the end of of Tully and Arn as a team. Yeah. Yes. After that point in time, mm-hmm. not to get into specifics, but why did you guys not t- decide to continue on? Well, it's all my fault mm. because. The situation was that Crockett had sold his company to Turner, mm-hmm. and Turner was giving big contracts away. Right. And they had promised a big contract to me and Arn if we'd leave the WWF. And so we gave our notices and, and worked out a, a finish date. And uh, I flunked a, a piss test. And so with like 25 days left, I don't have a job. Mm-hmm. So I don't get sent to drug rehab, but I, I'm, I'm gone. And in 22 days, we're going to sign our contract with WCW. And uh, then they called up on November 13th. Flair called me at 1 o'clock in the morning, told me they reneged on the deal. Mm. And so I am now unemployed. And the most tragic thing about that is that it affected him. Mm in a massive Your partner world. right yeah. and and that's my biggest mm. today regret not that i lost a job but it affected him mm. and then they i and i was sitting at home 
And I said, how in the world can I be out of the wrestling business? <laughs> that quick, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and but in all of that, when Flair called me at 1 o'clock, at 4 o'clock in the morning, I said, Jesus, take over my life. And that's what changed mm-hmm. my heart and changed my life. Mm-hmm. And um, I certainly didn't know that because I wasn't raised that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I spent the next year learning how to be sober and and not be in the wrestling business, still wondering why I'm not in the wrestling mm-hmm. business. This makes no sense, me not being in the wrestling business, because I'm the only guy that ever flunked a drug test that got right. extricated right. and never came back. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Was that because of a TBS thing, now that Turner owned it, they didn't want, because you had a drug conviction or got busted or whatever? Don't know. Right. They, yeah. they, you know, Arn would answer that. Well, the biggest, the biggest reason was there was an asshole named Jim Hurd mm. at the helm, and he figured out some way, somehow, when I came in for my meeting, that we weren't, that I wasn't worth as much to the company. They had made a deal for he and I, mm. and you're not worth as much as you two guys were together so we're going to cut your contract by 150 grand over a three-year period wow, yeah. that time that was a lot of money at my mm-hmm. house and mm-hmm. then he, you know he saw i was not happy as you could imagine and he went or aren't hey you know no big deal you can go back to vince if you want no hard feelings that's how little he knew about our business. What, I'm going to walk back in the door right. with my tail between my legs, stick my head in the window fan in Vince's <laughs> office? Yeah. So if there's anything left, go ahead and bury it. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. And so, you know, I was stuck with that. And uh, hmm. it's just one of those It's one of those things in the business. It always doesn't go well. I could have pitched a bitch sued them, Mm -hmm. whatever the deal was. But the reality is sometimes you have to look and I went, okay, say that spends me a a little money to have to sue them. What if I don't win? Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. This is still more money than I'm qualified to make anywhere Mm -hmm. out in the free world. So I'll bite my lip. They're only working six or seven days a month and and I'll just go with it. And just I went with it, just yeah. toughed it out. And it was, as you know, there's a roller coaster ride if you stay in this business mm-hmm. a couple of decades, much less, you know, th- this will be my 38th year. It's unbelievable. You, you know, I figured out pretty quickly, as long as you stay employed and make pretty good money, you don't have to make that top, top money for a couple, three years mm-hmm. like a lot of guys and then disappear. You'll still do okay. That's right. Yeah. Was it cool for you guys to to reconcile over the years, and especially to be here, like we said, back in AW working together? I yeah. think so. Yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, although he did come down and goes to the ring with Cody every night, which is a little <laughs> perplexing, but we'll cross that bridge. It's the sweater vest. I'm just digging the sweater vest. And the Waffle House menu. And the Waffle House menu. When I said that on commentary, I got 18,000 ha-has about your Waffle House menu. And the rib is, you don't know how many times I've stared into that Waffle House menu. I used to travel with you, man. Pork chops. Chris, you want pork chops? No, no, I'm good. Scrambles. Scrambles. Scattered and smothered. <laughs> Last question for you guys. Uh, what's your favorite match that you had as a team, or, or is, does a couple of them stand out for you? In a weird, sick way, to me, the first war games, mm. even though we got slaughtered, 
Oh, God. And we really did. The concept was so interesting. And the, that feeding every few minutes, feeding a, a fresh baby face in and being able to feed them however many guys were in the ring at the time mm-hmm. and, to, you know, to get bounced around that cage and bleeding to death. For us blood and guts guys, mm-hmm. you're one of those guys. It's a different level. When you're in a cage and you're getting run into that cage and you come up bleeding, it's a sick, sick thing, but it don't get any better than that. There's no more in the moment feeling it as a wrestler when you have that, that blood coming down. It's what we signed up for. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes it real. It is real. Yeah, yeah, and that one was in Atlanta. And it's real blood. Yeah, it really is, guys. <laughs> How about you tell it this one stand up for you? In a way, I would agree with with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, in in the war games, Arn had to go against Dusty the first five minute period, and then it was we we got to go in next. So I'd go in next, and and then the babyface would catch back up and make the comebacks and like that. That was a, a unique floor plan for a match Mm -hmm. and it was before the match even started was 25 minutes of blood and guts and comebacks and and stuff and so it was it was a a magnificent match and uh after the very first one in atlanta crockett said god that was great let's do that in miami in another in a month (laughs) (laughs) you know and Jacksonville, and Cincinnati, <laughs> yeah. and all these he other spilled places. money. <laughs> but that's the got thing. so much blood, Jim. <laughs> that's the thing, though. It's very rare that you do something for the first time. You guys were in the – like we were about to have blood and guts in AEW two weeks before the pandemic made us all shut down. But I can go watch your War Games matches to see how you guys did it. But when it was the first one, there's nothing to, to compare it to. Right. Yeah, and you're getting to feel it, not knowing if it's going to work. Mm-hmm. But to, to, as you know, there's nothing like feeling something live. Yeah. The greatest feeling in this world is we all have our maestro stick. Some nights you go out and you wave it around and nobody, and nobody, cares. nobody gets gives a shit. Yeah. And some nights, man, they just dip in and just fall in place and you just lead them anywhere you want. And with that thing, you do when that cage door came open. It was almost like a horse race, mm-hmm. you know, when the the gate flies up bring, and yeah. you know that and you get four of those a night yeah and then those once everybody's in the announcement the match beyond begins and now you have a 10-way mm. right away there's a 10-way and a finish mm-hmm. no delays you don't take them back down it just built and built and built and it's just yeah. perfect for baby faces yeah well, guys, it's great talking to you. Like I said, the greatest pure tag team ever. Great to have you here in AW. I'm excited to uh, to continue to work with you guys and learn from you for sure. Yeah. And well, Chris, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank we you. appreciate it.